0: Hello, everybody. My name is Satyajit Zarkar, and today we're with the cast of Star Sheer Rim. Let's give a warm yee-haw to everybody in the cast. Please introduce <laughs> yourselves. Uh,
1: my name's Charlie Lubitska, and I am Virgil Stockwell. My name
2: is Jonathan Reynolds, or you can call me Johnny, and I am Sylvester
3: Unkton.
4: Hi, I'm Margo MacArthur, um, and I play the marshal and the barkeep.
3: I'm Clayton Hester, and I am Harrow.
4: I'm Gabrielle
5: Freitas, and I play Tara Stockwell. I am Caitlin Daney, and I play
6: Meng.
7: Hi, I'm Gabe White, and I play the crazed mountain hobo and feral desert dweller number three.
6: Hi, I'm Sarah Gross, and I play Priscilla Stockwell. Hi,
8: I'm Brett <laughs> Smith, and I play Tross Daman and Yas Nento. First of all,
0: I'd like to say... Uh, this this was a great show, written by our very own president, Clayton Hester. Let's give a warm round of applause to Clayton.
3: It's funny because nah. they don't know if you're applauding.
6: <laughs>
3: no idea. You're applauding me. No, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Anyway, Now,
0: now Clayton, my first question goes to you. And obviously, (laughs) as you can see, as you're the writer of the show, Mm -hmm. my question will be, what inspired you to write this show?
3: So I think, first of all, it was kind of a love of um, the idea of the genre. It's not one that a whole lot of people have dabbled in. And so when it's kind of an interesting thing, because with genre, um, people at times view it like a box, but one of the fun things about it is like when you, when you've got a box, you can play with the box and not just what's in the box. It's like that, that's part of, I think what Starship Rim was. I'm a, I'm kind of a, a, a nerd about Westerns too. It's something I've recently discovered somewhat of my, about myself. Um, it, it, just a lot of it, just like the, the, the vibe and the, the kind of philosophy and the music. All the, the whole nine yards, really, and so that that was a lot of what inspired it, as well as just being a, a sci-fi geek. And I, I love the sci-fi genre. I, well, I love space stuff um, as well. And so that that's 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 really, I think, what aided in coming up with it. Uh, then you added in, you know, uh, several characters who each took on a life of their own, did their own thing, represented different things as well. And so that that was a lot of what came together in forming this show for me.
0: There's a lot of conflict. And a lot of um dense characters that come through, mm-hmm. uh, dense in the sense that there's a lot to unpack there, one being our 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 hero of the story, Virgil stockwell, uh, Charlie, I'm gonna pass it on to you with Virgil Stockwell's character, what would you say was the meat of of his character? What would you say? kind of boils down to his ideals
1: the first thing i would say is kind of kind of i I see him as a wyatt arp kind of guy from tombstone you know always wanting to do good by the law always wanting to do good for himself and for his for his folks for his family and uh that's kind of that's kind of the route i took for him i i tried to of course i tried to make it my own because I didn't want I didn't want to rip off of the character, and so I I, I just used pieces of of Wyatt Arp for, for what I used for Virgil Stockwell.
0: So he's uh, in your eyes the the ultimate lawman, I guess, of the Wild Wild West setting.
1: I wouldn't even say lawman. I'd say kind of a, a just a do gooder in general. You know, he's the he's the hero. He's the cowboy mm-hmm. hero.
0: Now, Clayton, I'm going to pass it back to you. What was sure. your vision in writing Virgil Stockwell's character? Where sure. did you see where did you see him going?
3: Sure. Yeah, I, I I, yeah, I get that. And I like the Wyatt Earp illusion, too, because uh, I hadn't thought of that one. Um. Really. Um. And so it's interesting. So if you look at Westerns and if you're a fan of classic Westerns or the spaghetti Western genre that, you know, kind of uh, went off of that, um, that things things started out like I like the, the play kind of references or the show kind of references um, the idea of the white hat. And so these days that kind of language has been adopted in a way because it's it's thought of as a cliche that the good guy wears a white hat. Um and so that's that's kind of like hacker in uh, some some hacker circles I've heard uh, I'm not an experienced hacker. That's not a confession. Are you sure about that? <laughs> okay. I don't know anything. This is not Oh I mean
0: if we find an anon mask in your room. Oh. Uh oh. It's nothing, I swear. <laughs> L- Clayton's in trouble. You got to you got to you got to dig him out of this one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's kind of this um, stereotypical white knight type situation with a lot of the classic heroes. And then when um, the spaghetti westerns bring that along, uh, Clint Eastwood, the type, I kind of see them, him and John Wayne ty- types of cowboys diametrically opposed. Really, like one represents the the do gooder, one represents the the guy that's going to stand up and do what he thinks is right. The other guy is, he's, he's more of a utilitarian. He, you know, he does things um, that are bad. Um, he usually isn't doing it all for himself, but those are kind of the diametrically opposed things. And the anti-hero has kind of become very popular in today's fiction. So I, I kind of wanted Virgil Stockwell to, to be an anti-anti-hero. <laughs> that works, you know? And so yeah. that, was, that was what I was seeing in Virgil.
0: I do see the anti-anti-hero in, in what you just described as. And honestly, the, the whole dynamic between Virgil and Harrow mm-hmm. didn't seem like they were adversaries per se, right. but more... I don't know how to put my finger on it. If somebody wants to chime in, uh, either, either Clayton, who played Harrow... In the production, or Virgil or anybody else who paid attention to their relationship
1: I'll say it's more of like a uh you know like they're just coworkers <laughs> like they don't they don't really like each other, but they have to get along at work or you know bad things are gonna happen <laughs> to both of them, so yeah, I think that I think they kind of just dealt with each other,
3: yeah, 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 and so that's kind of it with um Virgil gets thrown into a situation where he's having to do bad things to do good things which, he, which he's not okay with and which I think really still makes him an anti anti-hero <laughs> not to beat a new coin term to death however um, just you know that sort of thing um, where he's trying to put up a fight against things he feels like he has to do and so when he's in that place where he's doing these things he's looking into to Harrow as a um, as a kind of a, a dark mirror in which he you know this guy is completely bad this is a bad dude um, where he himself is trying not to, to see himself fully in that or something like that. You know,
0: uh, that, that whole relationship and the way that it, the way that it blossomed for a, for a lack of better terms throughout the story was, was pretty interesting to watch. Now, did you have that chemistry, uh, I guess in mind from the, beginning of the creation of these two characters or was it you were writing and then it came to you that hey maybe they're not strictly evil or good or you know
3: right um i think it is part of the fact that um harrow um he he likes to use people um and so using Virgil thing then for him is not a, a huge thing um, he he uses Virgil um, he's kind of playful about it and then Virgil back at him is is basically just trying to put up the ruse so long as he can be undercover or whatnot and to get out alive um, and to do what he needs to do so yeah I think that it blossomed out of there um, I wouldn't say that I went in with a whole lot of chemistry like this would be a um, whatever you would call the opposite of a buddy cop in which they're both criminals and are on the run and stuff. But <laughs> Partners like in crime. Like a
0: Batman and Joker, yep. like a vigilante ah. versus, a, versus mm-hmm. a villain, I guess.
3: Yeah. 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 Um, so that that's kind of where it came from. It kind of evolved organically. It, yeah. It wasn't a whole lot that I had in mind originally.
0: Now I'm going to pass it on to the matriarch of the Stockwell family. Tara Stockwell, our very own vice president of RRT, Elle Fritas. So, Elle, first of all, how are you doing tonight?
5: Oh, yeah, doing good.
0: Great. I was going to ask everybody else in the room how they're doing tonight, but I'm going to do that whenever I get to them, so... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyways, what I was going to ask was, with your character, there seems to be a placed emphasis on, I guess keeping the family together. Would you agree?
5: Um. Yes, definitely. Um. I think Tara definitely um, has kind of used this um, family unit to um, almost distract her from the guilt over the things that she's done in her past. Yes, absolutely. She loves Virgil and she loves Priscilla, but part of it is that um, distraction coping mechanism kind of proving to herself that she can be good. She can hold together a family, even if it isn't the full family that she once had.
0: Now that past trauma, how did that play in to your, your interpretation of Tara?
5: I, I kind of think Tara is a bit of a perfectionist, honestly. Um She's so good at portraying herself as The perfect mom, the perfect wife, always measured, always thinking things through. But when you get that scene with Harrow or with the marshal, you see that she has all of this unresolved guilt and anger underneath that just kind of fires out. So it was kind of interesting to play with the two different sides of her personality um, in order to show that um, she really was, even though there was a genuineness to it, she was putting on an act too.
0: Great insights, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> because the the only reason I'm saying that is because with what you had as as you know, as much as it was, there was still so much to dig deep on and and really, you could see the the torment that Tara went through throughout this this story.
5: First read through, I actually kind of ignored Tara, which was bad of me. I didn't notice her at all, and then I was reading through again. And a third time and I was like, you know what? Tara has so many more layers to her that I didn't notice the first time through. And I was really excited then about digging in and really getting inside her head.
0: Because at the end, I believe she's the one who gains vengeance for Virgil on Marshall, correct?
5: Um, well, no, technically, uh Sylvester, I believe, shoots the Marshall, taking that last little bit from her. But ah. um, she 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 doesn't blame him for it though.
0: Yeah. That's a that's a good way to go. That's a good
1: way. To go. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think uh, I think she's real happy about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Marshall was good. I'm out of this
1: conversation, but yeah.
4: Rip me. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Marshall uh
0: sorry, um Margo. As Marshall. Uh first of all, please uh tell us how you're doing tonight.
4: Hi, I'm doing very well.
0: And now, with Marshall's character, what did you find was the most important ideal Marshall held?
4: Oh, wow. Okay, that's a really good question. So it did take me, like, um L a couple times to read through the script to kind of understand my character. And in, like after around like the second or third time, I realized that Marshall definitely has somewhat of a Javert from Les Mis sort of feel that she is abiding by the law and to her the law is what is good but she may not realize that what she is doing is bad. She's kind of stuck in this mindset that she's trying to do good and only until the end like, of her life does she realize that she's really in the wrong and instead of her offing herself she's offed by someone else <laughs> So, wow. I think the most important part for her I mean was that goodness she was trying to always find like live by what is good trying to make peace like all that zen-ness that it's well, basically she was just trying her best but it didn't seem like her best was enough
0: Um, but yeah Honestly, I. That's wow. That was a good answer to a great question. I'm not gonna lie.
4: Oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> but now to to get things a little bit um lighter here, I heard near the end that that you have multiple ways of dying. Can we can we get a little example of that on this on this after show podcast, please?
4: <laughs> sure. Hold on
1: oh my gosh it's there almost go. like it's still happening <laughs> I'm,
4: right. dy- I'm dying and That's then <laughs> i'm dying and then rebirthing multiple times could you please tell us...
1: No, all they heard, <laughs> all they heard was noises. Uh, he, all they heard was noises. I don't
4: even know if they heard anything. It's pretty soundproof in here. So.
0: <laughs> oh, no. I, we heard it all. I, I'd say we heard it all. <laughs> Could you please tell us what what you died of in that moment?
4: In all those moments?
0: <laughs> yeah In that string of moments,
4: um, let's see, uh I got stabbed once. Uh, I think I got, um, okay. like just punched in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> the last one I know, I tried choking
0: myself. <laughs> <laughs> I,
4: heard, I heard the you know what? I'll leave it up now. to the the listener's <laughs> imagination. You know what? Go wild. Audience interpretation. Audience interpretation. Yes.
1: Yes. Literal soundscapes. <laughs> the
0: the asphyxiation near the end really really uh <laughs> chef's kiss. Chef's kiss.
4: <laughs> I take pride in my art. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
8: <laughs> that was
1: <laughs> We're turning to a barn house here.
4: I hope this was the conversation you were looking for. Because this oh, might no, be It's great. You're it's yeah.
1: great. <laughs> this
0: is this is gold. This is gold. Alright, moving on. <laughs> moving on from from whatever the hell that was.
1: Death.
4: Um, it was death. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the thing was you literally asked for it too. You, <laughs> you, did
4: it. you had it you, you literally,
1: literally asked. Sure. Give us I don't. I don't regret yeah. it.
4: I
0: really don't regret it. But <laughs> very, it was I very agree. entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> it was very entertaining.
3: All right, yeah, Caitlin. Caitlin's here. Uh, Caitlin,
0: sorry. Do we have? I... <laughs> Guys, it's it's ten thirty seven at night. Correct. Um. <laughs> yes <laughs> anyway so Caitlin yes mang I lost my damn question <laughs> All right,
3: so
1: <laughs> mang huh <laughs> yeah this,
3: we can rename this the episode at baldwin's bar where we act drunk but our <laughs> n- <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sylvester's hallucination exactly <laughs>
0: So Caitlin, with yes. Meng's character, there there seemed to be a sympathy of sorts towards. Honestly, there was there was an overarching sympathetic quality to your character. Right. Why do you think that is? Why do you why do you believe? Uh, I'm gonna I'm asking you this as Meng. Why do you present this sympathy towards the characters in the play?
4: I think that. I don't know. Meng was, she was orphaned and she was, you know, on an auction block and she went to the highest bidder. And I think that also the fact that she can like read minds and she can tell like what people are thinking, it really, really gives her an edge because she knows everyone's thoughts and she knows, hey, I've been through some struggles. I'm an orphan. And then she can read everyone's thoughts and say, hey, I know you're struggling. I can see what you're going through. Even though you might not be telling me, I can see what's going on. And I think that really gives her a sympathetic edge because it's got to be hard to hear everything everyone says, which is also why she says that she enjoys the silence when she's with Harrow.
0: So with that being said, there there has to be the question of, of whether absolute knowledge or near absolute knowledge would at one point, I guess, make Mang invulnerable or or uh numb to everybody's uh struggles around her now th- this this could be answered by both caitlin who played meng and also clayton who wrote meng um whoever wants to go first
3: um i think there is a numbness but it also there is a humanity um i kind of think um it would be realistically like a sense that we have naturally, like, um, um, I, when you, when you have any sensation, and I think that's the real call towards mindfulness these days, um, is whenever you, you have either something tactile, um, something, uh, you breathe in something you taste to, to be present in a moment. Uh, that's a, that's an important thing. Um, because in the in the daily the rush of things, um, we we lose the newness that can be experienced with different sensations. However, for Ming, um, I think that for her, um, a lot of this is still painful in regards to her not having a shield. In a way that you know she and Harrow are pretty diametrically opposed as far as um, emotion and integrity uh, and integrity of those emotions and stability and such go. Uh, because Meng becomes reliant on using some sort of uh, you know uh, medicine, if you want to call it that in terms of her forgetfulness uh, and her amnesia um so uh that that's what she uses to forget um she uses that um she is is kind of in a situation where she is just pretty much going along with it um and trying to get by the best she can. Um, And so that is one of the the reasons that she is attached to Harrow as well, is is some of that silence. But also the fact that she does care for him, it must be a really interesting experience as well um, that she learns to care about somebody that she doesn't have direct access to. And that's not something that was really delved into in the the show. Um, Same as the fact that um, the reason she is struggling so much with this, trait that must be natural to her species um the reason it's imbalanced and it's not natural for her to like be flooded must signal some something as far as her um character's own culture and how they would deal with that in the setting of she were around other people like her um so now that she's kind of a fish out of water she's dealing with that um that's something else i'm sure that's in her backstory um i just don't know a lot about that
0: (laughs) this whole conversation that that you brought up with Mm -hmm. With Meng's backstory brings to to the forefront a lot of moral issues that that could be dived into and somewhat were with. I guess when you say that Harrow cannot be cannot be read by Meng and yet she still. Uh, sympathizes and connects with, with, Mm -hmm. uh, him, that brings to mind a very human relationship Mm -hmm. because obviously I can't read your mind, Mm -hmm. you know, and yet I, as a friend am there for you whenever. And, you know, Mm -hmm. as friends do, if you're in need or if I'm in need this whole back and forth, but the special thing between harrow and Mm mang is is that harrow is not human or not flesh and blood how does that factor in from a standpoint of harrow towards mang
3: um yeah for him he does care in as much as he cares for anything that he can take and have for himself Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've heard, uh, some of his interaction with Tara, which it had some backstory in terms of the fact that she hired him those years ago. Um, I mean, she's, uh, as far as men go, she is at the end of the day, um, a slave. Um, and really, well, the fact that he throws her away so easily really speaks to the kind of, his view of her, um, his view of most people in general. And it's, it's, it's sad, but it's, it's kind of the truth of Harrow is that he, he just didn't care. Um, you know, there is some interest to Harrow's character in terms of his personality, um, whether his dryness in terms of his relation and, um, uh, humor to other people or, um, those sorts of things um or his desire to act human those those are also present but at at, at the end he's 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 a he's a bad man
0: <laughs> at some point i guess the inhumane and cold demeanor right. of harrow really does put all the strings together at the end when he's finally destroyed because everybody comes together at the end to, I guess, feel human in their own way uh, or feel, um, genuine in their own person who, whichever species they might be in your world.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good, that's a good, uh, takeaway in that sense. Um, how'd you feel about the ending? I'll ask a question. <laughs>
0: ah, you're asking me generally or
3: a- anybody? Anybody? All
0: right. Do we have uh, any takers? <laughs>
3: if you would like, if you, if thought, if if, 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 if I, 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 I meant to ask you first. Uh, if anybody else wants to a- answer after that, that's also a possibility. Um, but yeah, sure, I, that.
0: First of all, it was a great ending, but it was me mentally as like, as I was hearing the story, I was like, Oh, maybe this could have happened or this could happen. But I saw your vision as a writer and all I could see was the way that the story ended, it couldn't have ended any other way. And it wouldn't have made sense if, if, Oh yeah. Like, you know, Marshall gets to live and everything's forgiven and everything, you know, moves on and Virgil's not, you know, hurt or whatnot. And, and, you know it it wouldn't have created the impact uh that it did and it wouldn't have underlined and underscored the the overarching theme that you were trying to present with starship rim so that's my opinion on your ending uh, i don't know if that helped you or not, no yeah but- no, i
3: appreciate that um i would say um i will i will give a reaction to that um um
0: we got I, dead I, silence come on what is this quite, we, dead, we quite
1: g- <laughs> dead as is the theme of the some of the show well i will say that um that the ending definitely does uh befit the rest of the show um yeah i just yeah i would agree with you that it was it was probably the most legit ending you could have had for that and it you know, it was like spot on. Like it it couldn't have been written any other way. And and I think that is, you know, to to Clayton's yeah, to Clayton's talent as a writer. Yeah. Like, I mean I told
0: Clayton already he should be in a writing in a writer's room in LA. So.
3: Shucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> other people tell me how to say one by
8: one. Brilliant. Now, no, I appreciate it. Brilliant, my boy. You
1: Brilliant.
0: Uh, L, I got a, I got a question for you. <laughs> so, L, my question to you is: you were the editor for, yes. for the script. Take us through the the nitty gritty of where the script was and where it ended up. Well, um, I, would have, I would have asked Clayton this question, but I didn't want him to to sugarcoat it. So I'm asking you.
5: <laughs> oh, no pressure. Um, well, uh, we edited this a while back. This was um June or July, so it's been a bit. Um. I will be completely honest, I am not a fan of Westerns. So during the editing process.
0: I'm I right
5: had to now. What was me not liking Westerns and what was legitimate plot issues? Um so yeah, the first episode, the first episode was pretty good. It was pretty solid. I was like, yeah, this is going somewhere. Um uh the character actually of Tara in that first episode was very small I was like she doesn't really have a purpose you can actually cut her <laughs> and he <laughs> that the story would be the exact same if it was just Virgil and his daughter and he was like no I'm not gonna cut her and I was like oh, okay I mean that's up to you um and then episode two I was like what just happened I have no clue what's going on and it yeah there were there were a lot of notes I I was probably a little harsher than I should have been. I was just sending, like, pages and pages of notes. Um, So then he went back, and then he... uh, Did you edit two first, or did you write three? I think
3: I wrote it to the end.
5: Did Did you?
3: I think I did. I I remember getting this done in about a week. Okay.
5: Um, I feel like there was a break, though. I feel like three wasn't written yet.
3: Yeah, I, I probably sent it to you before before the uh, three was written, um, but then it was, yeah.
5: Yeah, so then I, I, I went to three, and three was definitely w- much better shape than two. It was pretty good. It was, like, at the level of one, and then we went back <laughs> to two, that that beautiful middle section that no writer ever struggles with, and, <laughs> um, and then it was much, much better, and the plot tied together, and um, what I really liked listening to this recording was... There was just a um a character that was in one episode, but they really, really shone. So we had the Mountain Man in episode one, and then we had um tross <laughs> Tr- Yos Nento and Tros Demon, and then we had um well, she's not here right now, but um Vinette in episode three. so um, we had this over arc, but he also made sure to have like, Almost like a breather moment with, um, not that Venet comic relief, but almost like comic relief in these episodes. And it really created a nice arc.
0: <laughs> Great. Now, speaking of the, what I'm going to call the day players, which, of which I play one. All right. Let's get our good friend Gabe up. Hello. Hello, Gabe. Hello, man. How are you doing? Vanessa? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. <laughs> Awesome. So with your character, the the mountain manor, is, wh- what is the actual? The crazed uh...
7: mountain hobo.
0: <laughs> I see. The crazed mountain hobo. Now I'm going to throw this question out there to you. Yeah. And I hope it's not too tough. Oh, boy. But <laughs> coming into this script, mm-hmm. when you read your part, what was your first thought?
7: Well, my first thought was, like, this guy is a freaking lunatic, you know? And just, like, yeah. holding up these people out of nowhere. You know, I get that he's been alone. He's lonely. He wants to make a few friends, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but taking a guy hostage and wanting their supplies, you know, it's just insane. And I feel like Virgil, you know, did the right thing by
1: killing him. <laughs> that I did. <laughs> And I did. You definitely know your place.
3: That was the whole
1: moral <laughs> of his <the> story. <laughs> yeah. And
7: I also did like how, you know, this hobo was like one of the first obstacles in the script, you know? And like for Virgil to make a decision like, crap, should I shoot this guy or should I not? What do I do
3: during the situation, you know?
0: Well, that was a great insight for for the crazed mountain hobo right, he's crazy uh, yeah the
3: takeaway of the show is sometimes you just gotta shoot him yeah
8: yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes exactly. sometimes you just gotta put a man exactly. down
7: amen brother
0: <laughs> <laughs> now i'd like to call to the mic um brett smith who played yos nento and Tros Demon or demon <laughs>
1: <laughs> my head is like sweating right now. <laughs> I have to
0: get this headset off. Somebody get Charlie off the I yeah, am here, Charlie. It's hot. we has too much time.
3: He's off. Yeah,
8: he's. Off. Uh, he
0: first brain. of all, Brett. Hello. Are you on? The hi. Button? I am
8: Hi. Hello.
0: Hello. There. How are you? Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, hey. That's my question. <laughs> don't don't ask me questions. How are you doing tonight?
8: I'm doing well. How are you
0: doing? Awesome. I'm doing great, thank you. So, Brett, first of all, the, it was you who did that scene, right? With with uh, Charlie, with the arm. Yes, the that mouth. was me. Yeah. Let's go through that. You guys didn't rehearse this at all, nope, right? Not like, at all. You, yeah. this is the first time reading it. Mm-hmm. That momentum in that scene. Can can we get a can we get a yeehaw in the in the room, please?
8: Yeehaw, everybody! Yeehaw!
0: Thank you. You're welcome. Now, <laughs> uh, actually, somebody, somebody, get Charlie back on the mic because I want to talk about that scene. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's get back on the
8: mic. We need you, man. No sleep for the weary. What
1: Hands do you back? want from me,
8: <laughs> Charlie?
0: <Ain't that> best, <laughs> folks, you're, you're oh. gonna, yeah, you're gonna. You're going to realize during the show that um, you, my friend, cannot get away from the mic at all because you, as Clayton put it, you make a lot of contributions to the to the momentum of it. And one of the scenes that I wanted to talk to you about, which is why Brett is in the um, seat next to you or in front of you, is the, the arm in the mouth scene. <laughs> I'm going to call it that scene because I don't know what the... Uh, what the overall consensus of it was, but it, all I knew is that when I was hearing it, I was like, the 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 momentum and the way that it was written was was being portrayed very well, in my opinion, and it was, I would say, a, a standout scene in in the show. One of being one of the only. I guess funny scenes in the show, I guess um it it really did make a make a good mark on the show now, my question to both of you is when you guys read this separately, what went through your mind as to the preparation towards it?
1: um well, I thought um that uh Tross and Yas were going to have kind of this uh this wonky alien voice. And so reading it I would read it to myself with those voices. And I and I kind of just imagined kind of a like a uh, wild wild west thing going on there. Um kind of like a get my arm out of your mouth. Yeah, get my get my mouth <laughs> off your arm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and so um I knew right away that that was going to be uh, one of the more fun scenes for me to do because uh, I feel naturally, um, you know, I'm I'm a funny guy, <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> I think I think I was able to have uh, a lot of fun with that scene, and I really had a lot of fun doing it with uh, with Brett, and uh, it was a it was a good time, yeah.
8: Brett, uh, yeah likewise. it was super now. fun uh, what when, when I read it the first time, uh you try to get in the mindset of these two characters, these two you know budding heads uh i I thought it would be so much fun uh and I'm so glad that you that you kept up with what I was trying to go with, Charlie, I really appreciate that uh you know, I just thought that these two thought they were more important than they were, you know, so they were kind of <laughs> trying to act bigger than they were, trying to you know. So like they were kind of like playing with Charlie the whole time, you know. They were the hired gun. They thought, hey, we're the we're the top guys around here, you know. Uh, And so yeah, doing that was just super fun. So I knew going into it, uh, you know, that I had to make sure that I had the relationship between the both of them down, so that it could play off with him with Charlie especially really well. Uh, Because I knew if the two of them didn't have a good connection, that it just it was all going to fall apart. The moving parts
0: were very very quick to to catch and both of you latched on at at the speed that it was going and propelled it very nicely very nicely uh as actors are told being generous is the way to go and honestly all of you guys if if all of you are listening in in the room whoever has a headphone on can can relay this message <laughs> can can say that
1: you, you all did all of you is guys what he's saying you, you all did you're amazing all you're, you're all, all great, great. Thank you. yeah Thank you. that's what i'm saying
0: <laughs> so uh, what i was going to say was being generous is the most important quality that an actor can have because you can be an actor and on a stage and and do a monologue but at the same time, when you have to share the stage with somebody else, you can't be the the main attraction mm-hmm. in a scene, and that that was shown very clearly with the scene between Virgil, who in this case is the hero of the show, and with Yas Nento and Tras Demand, and sharing sharing that spotlight in a in a small scene like that really makes the show about the world rather than the hero. And that that was a great thing to see. Uh, I'm going to move on to Jonathan Reynolds. Is is he there? Your uh, character, Sylvester Uncton. Clayton, I, I'd like to gather your insight on why was Sylvester... Why was Sylvester included in your in your story? Uh, just as a just as a general question.
3: Well, um, Sylvester ends up being the the big motivator behind a lot of it. He gets the farm destroyed. He offers them a way out of there, and then they get caught by the law, and so then that prompts everything. But yeah, and so that that's a, a lot of the reason. I, I also enjoyed the idea of the the fast talking swindler type character. Um, I was I was. Writing this one day, um, it was a Saturday, and um, on Saturday, some of the channels that show a lot of the old shows um, had on a, a western, and I believe it was um, show with Clint Eastwood was Rawhide. There was a, a similar character that happened to pop on, and I'd already had this character in mind, and it's like this old guy um, <laughs> is this this is this is what I'm looking for. It's a small word world, and so this guy also um, reminds me of this character I'm working on. Um, and that, that guy was like an undertaker or something. So that's different. Uh, but the story, <laughs> the story <laughs> I don't know. He he, he um, like a, a an undertaker who got into um, um, illegally printing money, whatever the word is for that. The fake money, fake counterfeiting? money.
0: Counterfeiting.
3: Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Counterfeiting. <laughs> Remember, I'm into hacking, not counterfeiting. So that's yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly.
3: Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, and so Sylvester was going to be uh, he's going to be a, a a fun character uh a, that um drove things along. Um but ultimately came to reflect a lot of the similar things in terms of people who have done weird stuff and it was like, well, um how like in terms of the the, the weird stuff being like crime and stuff. <laughs> weird. <laughs> it's really so out there. Um and so uh he even though he is such a, a fun, um weird character, he he um he too has a lot of that baggage in terms of being wanted by the law and um uh reflecting into so uh Virgil as well.
0: With Virgil and and Sylvester, there's a um would you would you say camaraderie in that aspect? That they're both outlaws?
3: Yeah, I would. Um I know at times he... He acts like he's going to shoot Sylvester (laughs) and he does it out of the the goodness of his heart. Honestly, Uh, he, he, (laughs) it's, it's all, it's coming from a good place. It really is. Um, uh, (laughs) Also he's just gotten, Sylvester's gotten them into deep water. And so for him to be dragged into this um, and have to struggle with this, he struggles with himself. He, he does feel for Sylvester, I think because he, there's probably a pity there more than anything um, in terms of the way that he lives. Um, but, yeah, I think that's what drives a lot of it and what connects them throughout in their development together.
0: What was your thought process going in in this this reading and playing Sylvester?
2: <laughs> to start out with, basically, when I auditioned, they said, hey, can you do like a shifty, smarmy voice? and so so I was like yeah talking about like uh this kind of like uh you know I can I can really see you see you going places I have got something for you and they were like yeah that's exactly what we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> and so I just kind of went from there um and then while while I was like reading through the script I I started to get a better better more specific idea of like who who exactly he was and he's kind of one of those people that Gets started down a, a bad path, lying or swindling or whatever, probably just telling themselves that it's just this one time, but then they end up having to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it over and over and over again to get them out, get themselves out of whatever new thing that they've gotten themselves into. And so then eventually he just starts leaning into it and is like, all right, well, this is who I am. So I'm going to make the best of it.
0: What did you see in the cast that you put together? Uh, You could go person to person. You could go character to character uh, just to gain some insight on how your mind goes through casting.
3: There are a lot of accents. That was was a big thing. Um, But also just they, they, we had a vibrant cast full of uh, colorful characters (laughs) and uh, um, we brought in a lot of people with, a lot of different traits um uh i know that kind of the big thing is a lot of their, there are a lot of shifty people in this this uh show um and so we had a lot of that as well um folks that came in with it with a true genuineness and there's a lot of um and ironically there's there's a lot of genuineness in the the script as well um even though the characters themselves they all have their ulterior motives. They've, they're all uh, on a, this this whole thing, and so even Virgil Stockwell is lying about who he is by taking up the name Lucasta in order to, to, you know, hide a little bit about himself. Um, even even the the good guy uh, has to do that. Um, and so that that was something we reflected in our cast um, was to get people that um, kind of uh, worked long on that. That interesting line between uh, the genuineness of the character and also the the complexity of them
0: now with with that being said, I was wondering if you had some memorable interactions or memorable stories from from casting that went, ooh, this this is um this is interesting
3: um. I'm not sure per se. <laughs> um, I mean, they they were all good. Uh, we we enjoyed all of it, and we en- it was interesting how uh, dialogue or lines from Peanuts came up, and <laughs> had a few of those. And that was great, but like I don't know, I love the Peanuts anyway. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, there was just a lot of characters that we managed to to see that we we fit into the the context and the the form of what we were looking for so that was that was what um a, a great takeaway a great set of auditions and great um a great time all around
0: can we get sarah gross on the yeah. on the
3: hey, sarah, can seat? We... all right she's here
0: hello, hello. Jinx. hello sarah uh, <laughs> Hi. Uh, how are you doing tonight
6: i'm good i'm good how about you <laughs>
0: I'm doing just as well as the other time uh, Brett asked me. So, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Sarah, playing a young character. I've played a young character back in back in the day in the Christmas Carol. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Clayton knows what I'm talking about. Playing a young character as as Priscilla is. What was your What was your uh, go to? instincts and uh, I guess thought process going in as Priscilla
6: um well when you're playing like a child character I've noticed a lot of times they don't hold back in what they say and what they do uh, they speak their mind because they don't you know know any other way they don't really have a lot of ulterior motives or you know lie about things unless you know they're trying to sneak a cookie from the, the cabinet or something <laughs> so she's very upfront about what she says and how she's feeling. Um, And so I just try to bring that kind of like, you know, childlike honesty to the role. um, Anytime I'm trying to portray a child.
0: As you said, there's this innocence and there's little deceit. What do you think is the, the meat in Priscilla's character? In the story, what do you think is the the overall motivation that that Virgil gains from Priscilla's character?
6: Um. So, of course, you know, he wanted to protect her because she's his daughter, but she just kind of has this spirit within her the entire time of not giving up um, because she's fierce and somewhat independent. She's holding a vaporizer gun at Sylvester in the very beginning. Um, that takes some guts and some courage. Like she likes to shoot bugs in her spare time. Like what? <laughs> um, but she's just got this energy about her of of not giving up, of, of trying to persevere to the end. And I think that's another reason why Virgil is so protective of her because she's got this optimistic yet Fierce outlook on the world and she he wants her to be able to see things, to see the city, to have this life that he wants to give her, that he and Tara want to give her. Um, so I just think she is that embodiment of of hope and perseverance throughout the entire story.
0: Yeah, she's a young girl with Moxie. Am I right?
6: I like that word. Moxie.
0: (laughs) Thank you. That's that's what I'm paid for. Clayton, what? when's my check coming
6: in? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Oh, okay. Um, I was about to say. <laughs> I also drew. Um, I've played child characters before. Um, for my audition, actually I brought in a Peanuts monologue, <laughs> Sally Brown, and there's there's very few characters with more moxie than than she has. Um, so I was kind of drawing off of some experiences I had had with playing other children, um, of not holding back, of just bringing this energy to the role that you know can't really be replicated by an adult you know children are children are special
0: <laughs> that they are that they are um thank you for your insight sarah now thank you so much yeah now
3: the specialness of children was more the takeaway than shooting mountain hobos that's that's something important <laughs> so, i think that's a good yeah
0: Yeah, that's very true. Very true. All right, now that the podcast is coming to an end, I'd like to get some closing remarks from the cast and um, gain their experiences throughout the reading of the show and putting it together for the listeners at home. Clayton, would you like to begin?
3: Sure. So I really enjoyed uh, this this entire, uh, situation. I, 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 I've, I really love stars. Your rim is, um, something I've been able to produce for this and something that I've been able to use to combine a lot of things I've loved. Um, there's, you know, in terms of music in it, that's something I've loved as well. And combining those different ideas, um, in terms of, uh, sci-fi Western, all those things combining and making, making something new and something different. And, um, Kind of that, that interesting thing of the the context of these ideas and and how they're played out in this and that um and, and putting it all together that that's 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 the big thing that was uh, great about writing this
6: um so I've only been here at Sema for a couple of weeks but I'm really glad that I got to do this project with you guys it was my first you know really theatrical performance that I've gotten to do while I'm here and all of you guys are just wonderful. And thank you for inviting me into your world. Aww. Yes. Hi.
8: Uh, I just like to say real quick, uh, this is super cool that I didn't realize this was a thing that people did here. So uh, this was a great introduction to be a part of this. Uh, and I hope to be a part of more of these in the future. I think these are fantastic. Uh I've done mostly like stage productions throughout my life. So getting to change up pace a little bit and kind of relax and have more fun with it, you know, with, uh, with this type of script and, you know, working with these guys and it's just, it's really great. So I'm hoping there's more of this in the near future and, uh, I'm glad I got to do it. Thank you so much for being a part
0: of the production. Uh, anybody else?
4: I just wanted to add something like real quick, like this, I'll be serious. (laughs) i agree with brett like i had no idea this was a thing and i'm i'm not sure if anyone else here is the same way but um i really want to be a voice actor like and get into the professional industry one day and seeing this like i already love theater and one day you know i'd love to go to broadway but it's probably not going to happen um but voice acting has been a part of my life for since I was like 11, 12. And it's something really promising, a niche market that I realized I was good at. And seeing something like this, like here at SEMO, like I, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I just can't wait to see what happens in the future for this. And I'd love to be a part of anything I can.
0: Thank you so much, Margo, for being a part of our organization. Now, if we got anybody else to say anything, anything of the sort, it doesn't have to be a mushy gushy sort of, you know, oh, thank you so much, uh, which is which is nice to hear. But come on, the, you guys are professionals. Um, you guys have you guys have
2: you. Uh- Yeah, not not to jump on the bandwagon here, but uh, I I if you
0: want to. I'm not discouraging anybody from from saying thank you, but I'm just saying if anybody's got anything else to say, they can.
2: Um, I just wanted to say like this. This has been a, a really, a really great fun experience. Like all you guys, i I felt immediately like right at home the second I walk I walked in and everyone was like doing Star Wars impressions and stuff and <laughs> um, I walked in and it was hello there <laughs> it just immediately uh, and I was like I am I'm home this is where this is where I belong <laughs>
1: um,
2: but it's been it's been really nice because I'm, I'm a transfer student and so it's it, it's been kind of awkward especially with all of the coronavirus restrictions and everything i think it's all beyond just having to wear a mask and everything all of my classes it's been like you go in you sit down and then it's just for like five (laughs) minutes until the teacher walks in they're like hey everyone how's everyone doing
0: That's how it is in daily life anyway. So <laughs> But uh, unless you're in an acting class, then it's then it's different.
2: I don't know, even As, in my acting classes, everyone's been like kind kind of reserved, particularly really? for for theater students.
0: <laughs> really? That's crazy to me. That is crazy. Yeah. Um but
2: it it was, I it was really nice getting to work with everyone.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and I guess uh, Melancholy is in the air. So I guess doing this sort of um, doing this sort of project really kind of puts out some positivity in the world and uh, brings a brings a positive mindset to the people that we bring into our family. Um, Once you say so, Clayton.
3: Oh, absolutely! This this is so great, and it's great that we have such an enthusiastic group to to get together and to put on this story. And it's like this story meant so much to me, and so to be able to share it with all you guys that are are so gung ho about it, and so um, so into it, and so into the this this craft, which is you know a craft unto itself, really. Um, and and so, so it's such a different option and uh, opportunity that we want to be able to get out there and get people involved in because it it's great and uh, just that hear other people's stories and to hear them bring other people's stories. It's a a huge collaboration, um, in narrative and in good fun, really just the amount of fun we have in here, um, messing up the script (laughs) And, (laughs) um, and to hear all these good things from you all. It really, it really means a lot to me. Um, and God bless you all because honestly, we, to say we have made an evening out of it, is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd be right about uh, that.
4: It's past my <laughs> I'm
3: realizing now that um, the fact is, I've been trying to to mouth words, and nobody can read lips right now. And so, <laughs> <laughs>
4: wow. <laughs> Yeah. That's smart, Clayton. <laughs>
0: now don't forget Clayton's uh Clayton's a journalism major too. He he's got he's got the wits about him. <laughs> I alright. So I'm gonna come out and say something. If nobody else wants you know what?
3: No. Nope. Just closing remarks? No. Yeah, no. All right. <laughs>
0: my turn to be all mushy. With their up.
3: eyes, they are saying, go ahead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this whole this whole uh, collaboration of CMO students putting together original content and producing it and putting it out into the general public for everyone to hear uh, is a great platform for all the creative people in our community. I'd say that there are actors in need of venues to show showcase their talent, there are writers in need of showcasing their voice, there are editors in need of showcasing their their prowess, technological prowess that is. And this organization puts it all together in a neat package and gives people the opportunity to put themselves out there in a, in a professional light. And we do it while we're having fun. And we do it with smiles across our face every single week or every single month, whatever the schedules are for the shows or whatever the schedules are for the writing room We come in, we do our work, we have fun, we live and we laugh together. And that's what the creative spirit, in my opinion, is. And to that, I would like to ask for a yeehaw one last time in that grand old room of ours.
7: Yeehaw!
0: Thank you all. This is Satyajit Sarkar signing off for the After Show podcast. Be safe and bless you all. Good night.